Good morning. My name is Lane DeVries, and I'm a California flower farmer. And we're going to do the gospel reading in a little bit. So, <laughs> It is with great joy to be here this morning with this Lutheran congregation in this serene setting, this peaceful setting right here in the Arcada Redwood Forest. This church holds a very special place in my heart, and I will explain this in a few minutes. I visited here before for a wedding and several funerals, but until last week, I had never been here for a regular church service. Your congregation appears to be very warm and welcoming, and I'm grateful to be in your midst today. This morning's sermon is based on readings from Amos 5, Hebrews 3, Mark 10. But before we dive into the message, I would like to say a few words about my background. My family has been in flower farming for four generations, all the way back in Holland. I came to this great country in 1983. It was $160 in my pocket. Started working at Sun Valley in 1984, first as a lily grower, then as an operations manager, then general manager, and in 1991 bought the company together with my two Dutch partners from Holland. My wife Catherine and I have been married this coming December for 30 years. We adopted two children, Tony and Sarah, which are now 21 and 19. Back in Holland, I grew up in a Dutch Reformed family, rooted with the Calvinistic tradition. Now, Luther and Calvin, the two great reformers of the 16th century, changed the theological landscape of Northwestern Europe and later America and the rest of the world. Here we are five centuries later, and there are an estimated 840 million Protestant believers worldwide. Billy Graham once said, you can inherit your religion, but you cannot inherit your faith. And growing up, my faith in God had slowly faded away. But 12 years ago, it came back with the help of the Holy Spirit. Ironically enough, this rebirth came in December of 2003, right here in this church, while attending a funeral service, celebrating the life of Violet Hansen. I had known the Hansons through Rotary, and Jerry Hansen was my CPA. His mother, Violet, was a wonderful lady. This funeral service had a lasting impact on me. In one of the eulogies, Violet was described as a believer 
And while on her deathbed, having an amazing peace and joy and delight, as she described seeing Jesus while she passed away. This made such an impression on me. It penetrated my heart. The Holy Spirit started working within me. And it invoked a hunger of the soul. And a search of the love and peace of Jesus Christ. It led me to become inquisitive and seek nourishment of the soul. After the funeral, I went through that door and have walked with the Lord ever since. That very next Sunday, I started attending church and never looked back again. I'm now a member and past elder of the Eureka Presbyterian Church. And in May of this year, I was asked to occasionally preach at the Blue Lake Presbyterian. And I've also done so in Eureka a few times now. Now, Sandra asked me if I could give a sermon here in this congregation. And I was delighted to serve. Now, let there not be any misunderstanding. I'm a flower farmer at heart. The flower business is not an easy business these days. With competition from South America and ever-increasing cost of labor and materials, putting pressures on the business. But as a farmer, it is gratifying to see crops grow from cuttings or from seeds or from bulbs. And 12 weeks later, it turns into these beautiful flowers Marvels of God's creation. Now there is a direct correlation how well plants grow and with the developments of its root system. As farmers, we find ourselves with our hands in the soil, in the dirt, to make sure that the roots are happy because roots are the foundation of a good and healthy crop. So it is with the Word of God. It starts with the foundation. And the root of Christianity are in the books of the Old Testament. The Hebrew Bible, the Talmud, gives us history from Genesis all the way to Malachi. When Martin Luther, the founder of this church, translated the Old Testament into German, In 1534, he only used the books of the Talmud. The Protestant Old Testament Bible, as we know it, which is with its 39 books, is virtually identical to the 24 books of the Hebrew Bible. Books like Chronicles and Kings and Samuel, which we all know are split in two. In our Bible, in, uh, they are singular in the Talmud. And the 12 minor prophets in the Jewish Bible, which are all individual books in our Bible, are one book in the Talmud. This leads us to Amos. Amos was one of these minor prophets. Now, they're called minor 
Not because these prophets were less important. No, to the contrary. It relates more to the shortness of their writings. The book of Amos has particular significance. James, in his speech at the Jerusalem Council, quoted directly from Amos. So did Martin Luther King in 1963 in his letter from the Birmingham jail. And in his famous I Have a Dream speech from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, he quotes Amos 5. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The book of Amos starts and ends with references to an earthquake. And indeed, a severe earthquake did occur two years after Amos wrote his book in 760 BC. Now, Amos did not proclaim to be a prophet or a son of a prophet. No, he was a farmer, a sheep herder, and a farmer of sycamore figs. One day, the word of God came to him, and he started writing. Amos lived in the northern kingdom during the days of the split kingdom, in a time of peace and prosperity, after King Jeroboam had won a major battle against the Syrians. During this time of prosperity, the large landholders abused their position to the detriment of the people. The book of Amos is short, but quite articulate and fervent in its delivery. God talked to this farmer, and he warned the people of Israel to change behaviors of evil and inequity, or the wrath of God would come over the land. Interesting enough, the things that Amos writes about could be a commentary on today's society. The wealth imbalance in the world today is staggering, counting 2,000 billionaires, more than any other time in history. Twice as many as in 2007, before the Great Recession. These billionaires collectively have amassed more than $7 trillion worth of wealth. Now, to put this into perspective, $7 trillion is, is a very big number. But you take the economy of Switzerland, France, and Germany combined, and you get about $7 trillion. Now, there are 500 billionaires in America, and they account for $2.4 trillion, or about 15% of our nation's GDP. Amos describes the inequities in the land of Israel in the 8th century before Christ. But the core theme in Amos 5 is seek the Lord and live. Seek good, not evil, so you may live 
and the Lord will be with you. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews does the same thing in chapter 3, 12 through 19. Describing the exodus of the Israelites in the desert with Moses. Disobeying God and instead making and worshipping a golden calf. God orders Moses to stay in the desert and forbids him and his whole generation to enter the promised land. And the Israelites spent 40 more years in the desert eating manna as a penalty for defying God. Finally, after Moses passes away, Joshua leads them, the Israelites, into the land of milk and honey. Now this takes us thousand years later, when Jesus now responds to the rich man in Mark 10. Please follow along as we read the text in your bulletin on Mark 10, 17. And, he, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away. Sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Wow. That text is challenging, isn't it? Jesus is talking to a rich man. Now, would that be the equivalent of one of today's billionaires? That would be convenient, wouldn't it? There are only 500 of them in America, so he wouldn't be talking to us. But the question is, what is rich? Many may think, hey, this doesn't apply to me. To some, affluence means money in the bank. To others, a nice car or a luxurious home. But Jesus says, Sell all your possessions and follow me. We all have possessions of some kind. So this could apply to any of us. The core message here is the same as in Amos and in Hebrews. Are we willing to surrender and believe in God? Are we willing 
to drop the things we treasure, what is dear to us, and follow Jesus. Taking this a step further, are we willing to let go of our favorite things or the way we spend our time, like our hobbies or our favorite sports? Last week, I was talking to a manager at our Oxnard facility. His son loves bicycling. He belongs to a bicycling club. And at any point that he has free time, he climbs on his 10-speed and he goes for 60 or 80 mile rides. Would he be willing to give up his favorite hobby to follow Jesus? It all centers around letting Jesus take control of our lives and not resisting and struggling with whatever happens to us and to think that we can solve it on our own. At some point in time, it is inevitable that hardship enters our lives. Now, going back to these roots, the foundation, the Old Testament, gives us great guidance in examples of hardship where faith in God persevered, like Job, Abraham, Joseph, or Daniel. These were people that went through great hardship and rather than getting bitter and allowing their hearts to harden, they continued to believe in God and God ultimately reciprocated. They did not take things into their own hand. No, they put their trust in the Lord. Now sometimes we want to solve things on our own in situations where letting go and surrendering to Jesus is truly the answer. And let me illustrate this with two examples. Back in 2007, a severe back condition left me virtually unable to walk and in excruciating pain for several weeks. A CAT scan had revealed that a disc had completely herniated and was pushing up and down against my spinal cord. Up to that point, asking the Lord for help was not something that I was accustomed to. But once pain becomes as overwhelming as it did for me in 2007, praying for help comes naturally. The Lord answered my prayers, and miraculously, by the fall of 2007, against all odds and without surgery, the pain started subsiding. And I've been essentially free of back pain ever since. Here is another example. In the summer of 2008, we, meaning Sun Valley, lost most of our workforce due to an immigration action by our government. Nearly 400 team members 
or 80% of our workforce had vanished, including a significant portion of our leadership structure. The domino effect of operational meltdown and the psychological wear that developed had a harmful effect on our team and our company as a whole. It literally brought us to our knees. And this is when my search for the meaning of life truly started. These were trying times in many respects. I walked around with despair and a feeling of, why me? What have I done wrong? I fought this for a while and allowed bitterness to take a hold of me and to let pity and sorrow take control of my heart. After more than a year of agony, I at last realized to let go and let Jesus lead the way and follow him. A weight was lifted off my shoulders. Moses was frustrated with his fellow Israelites. They hurt and yet rebelled. They were disobedient to God and ate manna for 40 years in the desert. Amos was discouraged with the people of his time for not seeking the Lord and instead doing things on their own, committing sins and transgressions. But here is where the good news of Jesus Christ comes into the picture. God loves us, and he sent his only begotten son to straighten the path to everlasting life. Jesus said in John 6, 58, This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Ladies and gentlemen, God sent his son for us to receive the gift of eternal life. Are we ready to accept the gift of salvation? Jesus is patient. He is waiting for us to ask for help. Surrender your heart to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and repent of your sins. He is ready to provide us with the gift that is available to all who believe in him and follow him. Thank you. Amen.